Welcome back to another episode of the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Mudgear Hannibal Race Pro, Evan Preparis. And joining me back, I have Mr. Bobby, Bobby Ross. Ross. What's yeah. up, everyone? So before we get into this episode, this episode today is brought to you by Mudgear. Mudgear, the maker of OCR socks, shorts, race apparel, jerseys, etc., uh, great product, great brand. Bobby, you've done some work with Mudgear, have you not? I have, and I loved it. Yeah, it was fun. We did a great photo shoot out there at Casey Timber Challenge and shot a bunch of Mudgear content, pictures, video, like a mini commercial. So if you've seen the Made Tougher commercial by Mudgear, I'm talking to the man who shot, edited, produced all that good stuff. It was a team effort. Mo- and Bobby did all the work. We just looked pretty. <laughs> It was a pretty team. <laughs> and if anyone wants a discount, you can use code ULTRAOCRMAN. I think that gives you 10% or 20%. I'm not even sure. I know it's a discount, though. Ultra OCR Man. It's easy to remember, too. And they just released the new army-colored green socks. That's as of today, as of this recording. So they have, like, oh. a, one of their ruck socks is now, like, in that all-green army color. So you can check them out. And I know uh, someone was asking me about, like, are you allowed to wear mudgear socks with uniform? Well... I mean, your boots cover them and your pants cover them, so you can literally wear whatever socks you want. I know that's not the official Army regulation, but that's what people do. So, All right, let's jump into today's episode. So we are back talking about Special Forces TV commentary. So the Special Forces is that TV show that's on Fox and or Hulu, depending on what uh, platform you watch it on. And the first episode, we talked basically through episodes on the show, like one through three, and then a little bit into four. And we're going to be talking about four plus, and we'll see how far we get um, for today's episode. Any thoughts before we get started, Bobby? I just got to say, man, those are some whiny celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed they are. Indeed they are. And uh, yeah, we're just going to jump into it. We'll explain. If you haven't watched the show, don't worry. We're... Uh, we're going to explain the events as I kind of go through them, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how some of the mental lessons learned and how it, some of those apply to OCR and just how it differs from like real uh, special operations selection or training courses. So we uh, we left off in episode four, and they were moving in a broken vehicle uh, th- through like the desert, pushing it towards an objective. And it, you know, in the show, they they basically what we call slick, so they're just in their uniform. And their boots, and they're pushing this vehicle. And I think the instructors were like yelling at them and um, getting them to push this vehicle through sand. And you know, they on the show it was literally like fifteen hundred feet. It was, you know, it, was, it wasn't even half a mile. It was so short. I was frankly surprised because in the you know real special forces assessment and selection, it's miles. It's like six miles would be like a kind of like more of like a normal distance to move something like that. And it wouldn't be just be the the vehicle. There'd probably be something wrong with the vehicle, like missing a tire. <laughs> and then you have to like off balance it. You have to essentially balance it or, um, you know, something else wrong with it. And then on top of that, you have your 50 pound backpack plus your 10 pound weapon plus your 10 pound like water carrier. Oh yeah. So it, it's a lot, a lot more complex for the, the the real thing you know and they're i think the cadre were yelling at them again like we talked about last time the cadre generally just kind of keep their mouth shut and just watch and judge and will occasionally make like offhand comments and you know you just kind of got to got to power through it and the the real special force assessment selection takes place in north carolina 
And when I say North Carolina, Bobby, what do you think the, uh, what do you think the terrain's like there? The ground? Uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty hilly out there, isn't it? Uh, it's some... a, little, a little bit of hills, but not usually not too bad. What about, no, what, no. what about the dirt? What do you, what, what, like, what do you picture when I say North Carolina, like soil? Well, I mean, I, I haven't been there, but I mean, I'm just thinking, it would, it just, is it loose soil? It's like, I swear, it's like the special forces people like took truckloads of sand and just dumped in the middle of North Carolina. There's so much sand. It's really, yeah, it's like, and when I think North Carolina, I don't think sand at all. But when you go to the, the training course, there's like sand everywhere. You're like, where did all this sand come from? So you're trying to push a lot of these things through sand, which does not roll very well on pretty much anything. So it's um, it's oh, pretty brutal. Yeah, that's terrible. It is. It's really terrible. <laughs> I mean, like when you say like the length, though, um, and also just like you know how much more difficult real selection is. It makes me think about how when you do a show like like that, you can't really control for fitness. You really just kind of have to control for who you think. I imagine we'll get the most people to watch, right? Mm, yeah. So it's like you're not selected because you can actually do stuff, but because people think it would be fun to either watch you win or fail. Mm, good point. Very good point. Yeah. So it makes it interesting to me that with like the, the span of like fitness that they had, like, you know, like just retired pro athletes, like in their 30s versus, you know, some up in their 50s, completely untrained, that they aren't more difficult. Yeah, it was uh, the 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 spread of athleticism was very surprising. It was vast. Um, yeah, I mean, no one's severely overweight, but obviously, people past their prime, and some people in their fifties, and uh, yeah, it, it was surprising. And yeah. for our, for obstacle course racers, if you've done Green Beret Challenge, that is essentially inspired, just like this event is inspired by Special Forces Team Week, uh, which has these things where you're building contraptions and you're either dragging something, carrying something or uh, kind of pushing, pulling something towards a, a target or a goal. So uh, you'll be very familiar if you've done Greenberry challenge with that type of format. And that's, that's kind of what we saw on the show. Um, you know, you, you mentioned uh, just when we started, like um, kind of how emotional people are and that, you know, that that's, that's pretty on point as far as, um, when you're under a lot of stress, you tend to get hyper emotional. Um, I remember you and I being pretty emotional on our last event. <laughs> I was super emotional on our last event. You could have like, you you would you would push the right buttons. I would I would have started crying. I was uh yeah I was I was hurting. So you're not you're not thinking at that point, like right? Like I mean, you're you are thinking, but you're entirely engaged in keeping your body moving, trying to move forward. Uh, and especially if you're out of your element, you're just kind of like, you know, you, you don't know the people around you very well either. Like, who do you who do you trust? Who do you rely on? Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of mental stress. Absolutely. You know, and they, they put you through a lot of the physical stress and then the mental stress. They uh, not so much deliberate sleep deprivation, but you do. You're not sleeping a lot at selection at Ranger School. You're sleeping very little and it's very purposeful. Uh, but what that does, it essentially breaks down a lot of your barriers and kind of like exposes your true self, right? So if, you know, it's easy to be nice to other people when you're well rested and you're, you're not exhausted and you're being, um, you know, it, things are like in your control. It's hard to be nice to people. It's hard to be in emotional control. It's hard to think through things when you're tired, you're 
you know, you're stressed out and you're, you haven't slept much or you're at a severe caloric deficit, right? All those things kind of exposes who you are in stressful times. And that's, you know, like, as we talked about last time, that's the reason they have selection. It's, they want to see how you react when things are going really poorly. And we want to make sure you're the type of person who's going to be like, all right, well, this sucks, but I'm going to start, you know, moving towards the objective anyway. And, you know, even if it takes all night or all day. Right. Well, and especially because like if, you know, we were talking about athletes, the thing about being an athlete is you do everything you can to get good sleep. Yes. Because you, you're terrible. You don't perform well. Correct. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So the, the army, you know, if you look at some of the training courses and the selection processes, it teaches you really bad habits because it's like, oh, you don't need sleep. Just go. Just keep going. You'll be fine. It's like, well, yeah, it shows that you can do that and still be fine, but it doesn't, it's not for optimal performance. It's, you know, focused on mental grit there. Right. And dur during those events, uh, you know, I don't, again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil anything, but during, like, if you quit during a team event, it means more work for the team. Always. Yeah. Right. So like, uh, Green Beret challenge, you quit during that. If you have a team before, then you only have three people and they have to do the events or you, someone quits again, right? And then you have two people. Same thing with special force assessment selection. If someone quits mid event, they don't be like, all right, well, you have one less person now, so we're going to remove one of the barrels you have to carry. Like, they don't care. Now you have one less person, and you have to deal with the consequences of one of your people leaving. So when you quit, especially in the middle of an event, it really screws people. Um, occasionally, if your team gets really small, I think I've seen them, like, adjust some of the weights. But, you know, uh, it's got to get past a certain threshold before they adjust anything. So when you quit, it, it, it has a compounding negative effect. So you're not only you're not only letting down yourself, but then you're letting down the rest of your team and you're making them do more work, which is pretty awful. Hmm. Yeah. Not into that. Nope. Nope. Dad told me don't quit. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we talked about it last time about, you know, quitting, you know, there's, I think uh, quitting begets more quitting, right? So if you start quitting at one thing, I think it bleeds over into other aspects of your life. Uh, that being said, if you, someone who's in the back has, in, in the, in their past has quit a lot of things. Like you can always start over, right? You can be like, all right, well, you know, today, right now is the, from this point forward, I, like I'm uh, quote unquote, starting on a clean slate and adjusting the way I approach uh, difficult tasks, right? It, it's not a, um, you know, based off your lifetime of stuff you've done, it, it may have indicators of how you'll perform this in the future, but you can always like restart and be like, all right, now from this point forward, you know, we're going to start applying ourselves towards uh, doing difficult things and not giving up mid-event. Right. Something uh, conti continuing on that, like uh, as as it moves on, we start to see some of the sort of kind of, I guess, punishment activities. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me, can you talk about how different it is? If Is that something that you do? Like, are you punished? uh individually or is the group punished more like what how does it how does it compare it, it'll be is? yeah it's both so sometimes they'll single out someone specifically like i talked about last time like you get a, a negative spot report they call it where essentially it's like a little card that goes in your file that says like you were being a dirtbag because of x y or z uh, but more often it's like team punishment so someone messes up usually the whole team has to suffer for it right so the um you know, someone falls asleep on security uh, that you're, you're supposed to have like a certain amount of security in the middle of the night. So like if you're in a patrol base, you're usually at like 33%. So 
one out of every three people is awake, making sure bad guys don't get in. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's up to 50% and sometimes it's up to 100%. So, um, you know, if they, if the cadre come and they catch one or a couple people sleeping that are not supposed to be sleeping, sometimes they'll, they'll make you increase your security posture. So essentially everyone suffers, even though, you know, it may, it may not have been your shift to actually stay awake. Right. You know, then sometimes, again, if you're really messed up, they'll have you do uh, exercises until uh, people start giving up, right? So flutter kicks and push-ups and overhead arm claps and jumping jacks and, you know, holding your rucksack straight out or doing squats with your rucksack on. I mean, you, any sort of body weight exercise that doesn't require equipment or just requires a rucksack is uh, is basically fair game. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So we're going to keep trucking back uh, or up to episode five at this point. And, you know, as people are going through, you'll see, you know, I, when they lined up before, they were talking about how, you know, they looked at the stronger people as the basically the most fit, you know, and, I, and there's, there's an advantage, obviously, to coming into events like this and other military courses very physically fit, right? Because if you're physically fit in general, you don't have to dig as deep when there's something challenging. Right. As a general rule. And it's not such a shock. Correct. Yeah. That being said, they're usually, the events are usually so bad, it usually doesn't matter how fit you are um, because everyone ends up doing, everyone ends up pulling, um, it feels like more than their share of the weight, right? So like you, a lot of times you'll, you'll rotate out who's resting and uh, you know, if someone is really slacking behind, then you, you'll end up kind of just picking up the slack. So it's, it's still exhausting. So it really doesn't matter how fit you are. They're going to find that kind of mental edge and that, uh, that painful point for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is it even so something that being an athlete can, they tell us it teaches us to be more mentally, uh, disciplined, but that's not always the case. Not for every sport. Yeah. Yeah. I think there, again, it's, it's sport specific. Like we were talking about last time, there's, um, it teaches you to be mentally disciplined for certain things, but sometimes when you pull people out of that that comfort zone that they've gotten used to, uh, they've forgotten how to be uh, mentally strong because, again, they, they've been in their comfort zone and they've been so good at it for so long. You pull them out of that and now it's like, oh, well, I'm normally I'm a world champion at whatever I'm doing and now you've got me doing something that I'm I'm not good at it. I'm not comfortable. I've never practiced before. So, but, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of, um, do you notice on the show, they'd be like, oh, you passed this event, you failed this event, uh, as they were kind of going through all the different scenarios. Yeah, giving a pat on the back or saying, mm, buffoon. Yeah, <laughs> I like the uh, I like the, the British guys like PG um, vernacular as, as yeah. the course. I was like, eh, there's a lot more cursing. I understand why it's not on TV, but <laughs> I thought that was really amusing. Um, that is- but it also like they're going through all this course and it's like, you know, oh, you passed this, you failed this. One, I talked about they didn't, they usually don't give you feedback. But two, um, even when you do poorly on stuff, you still need to be able to kind of drive on, right? Like, so if you failed an event um, and it's not a mandatory drop as in like you fail this and we pull you from the course right now. If right. you fail that, you got to be able to be like, all right, well, that was a one off. That was an isolated incident. I'm going to keep moving and, and move on to the next thing. Just like obstacle course racing, right? Especially like world's toughest motor or toughest motor or any endurance OCR where you fail something and it's like, all right, well, I do the penalty. It cost me a minute, whatever. I mm. will 
I will kind of ignore it, put that behind me. And I, for me personally, I like to be like, I'm going to get it next lap. And then I'm like a little more fired up. And then yeah. sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't. <laughs> Basically every time I fail an obstacle at world's toughest or toughest mother, I'm like, that was a fluke. It was definitely a fluke. <laughs> uh, whether it was not, whether it was a fluke or not, I try to convince myself of that. So next time my probability of success will go up. Obstacle was wet. Yeah. It'll be dry next lap. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it actually is. Uh, Especially on the endurance ones, as it gets later in the night, obstacles will dry out because people stop doing them. Right. Versus a lot of time, as soon as it opens, it's a muddy mess because everyone is like falling in the water and then getting back on or coming out of the last obstacle. Everything gets washed out where it's muddy because of all the all the feet going by yeah yeah you know but at the end of the day the you you can't quit because then you are self-selecting right like you're telling them that you're not you're not making them they make the decision yeah i always you always make them make the decision you know even if you're like well this whole course hasn't gone poorly you keep going and eventually they will tell you you're not good enough rather than you telling yourself you're not good enough and i tell when people get ready to go to selection i'm like this is gonna sound really dumb but you know the don't let them tell, don't let yourself tell you you're not good enough. You, make sure they tell you. So, um, in my course, my selection class, we had 300 or so, 320 or so start. Uh, we had a hundred quit. So they, they voluntarily said they weren't good enough. Uh, we had about 200 finish the course in three weeks, and then about 120 of those were selected. And if, so, about 80 people did the whole co- the whole three weeks. And they were told they weren't good enough for one reason or another. All right. So, right. Could be physical. It could be psychological. It could be a team player thing. Could be they kind of dug into their background a little more and they, you know, have a history of uh, bad behavior or stuff, something like that. Oh, okay. So yeah, there so, is, that is um, precedented, like kind of the stuff that happened early on. There was a lot of kind of like digging in. And we kind of touched on that in the last episode. But how far in would you get? Uh, with bad behavior. Yeah, you know, as long as you're, as a general rule, if you disclose the information up front, that's usually better than not disclosing it, and then they find out. That's right. kind of the, the general rule. Um, oh. and, and it kind of depends on what your behavior is. A lot of times they, they, they typically would weed the majority of that stuff out prior to a course. Um, for the longer courses, right, at selection, you're, they have control of you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So there's really not an opportunity to mess up outside of the actual training environment. But for the longer courses, right? So if I if you graduate the three-week tryouts, there is a 14-month course, uh, which is like this entire special forces pipeline. And on that, you know, I had weekends off. Uh, most evenings are off. You know, you're sometimes you're at home. Sometimes you're in the field training. But for that, a lot of people will fail because they do stupid things like, you know, getting into a bar fight or drunk driving or whatever list of list of stupid things uh 20 year old 20 or 30 year old does and you know take a cross section of humanity and you know you put that put them into that category and you'll get a bunch of people who will wash out for those reasons right yeah the next the, the next kind of uh training event was actually i thought was pretty cool it was a driving mission so they they put everyone they put one at a time, they'd put them in this uh, vehicle and they'd have them drive through a course and, uh, you know, like insurgents would run out and start firing like blanks, essentially guns that make noise at them. And they kind of had to do like a vehicle obstacle course, which is kind of interesting. 
you know, and there was explosions and there was like fire everywhere. <laughs> I love um, explosions. It was cool. It was super cool. I mean, it, our, our budget is not like that. Uh, but it, <laughs> You're saying you didn't have pyrotechnics officers? No, we don't. <laughs> so the only thing we, you'll typically get is called, they're called artillery simulators. So it essentially, it's like a, it's like a big firecracker. So they, you'll see the cadre pull it and throw it. And it eventually makes a whistling sound like in an incoming artillery round. And then there's a loud boom, right? So when you hear the whistle, everyone drops to the ground like there's an incoming artillery round. It explodes, and then you're supposed to get up and run like 100 meters. You're supposed to pick a direction and run 100 meters to essentially run away from the artillery. Ah. So if the instructors want to be mean, they throw one. And if you didn't run far enough or react fast enough, they'll throw another one. And if you didn't react fast enough, they will throw another one. So you're like (laughs) sprinting through the woods with your backpack on. And your gun, and uh, the instructor's just making you just run everywhere. It's pretty terrible. So especially when you're <laughs> tired, not fun. Is that where you start to make bad decisions? I mean, the bad decision was showing up to the course in the first place. But, yeah. <laughs> why am I here? You're like, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> just leave me alone. Uh, I, I, I have I have done some actual drivers like offensive type drivers training. We did one when I we were deployed to Kuwait. Uh, we actually used their airfield and put cones everywhere. And we took these rental vehicles and like basically did like zigzag them through an obstacle course. And we used that to teach the Kuwaitis uh, essentially like offensive and tactical driving, uh, which is really oh. cool. Yeah. So some of my guys have actually been through a course uh, run by a contracting company. So a private military organization that uh, teaches that stuff. I have not been through that particular course, uh, but we sent our guys and they came back with the training and they share it with the rest of the team. And that's kind of a model of how Special Forces does a lot of their stuff, right? So not everyone on the team gets to go to every training course, but we send one or two guys. They go, they learn the material as best they can. They come back and they teach it to a, like a smaller, condensed um, uh, version to the group. So everyone gets a little bit of the training. Okay, so, that's rad. Yeah, that that was a really fun time. So we, we've got these like cones set up. They're like heavy duty cones and we're like we're taking these rental vehicles and just like flooring it and taking these doing like j turns and you know driving backwards and like doing slums with it and we were we had marked up because we kept hitting cones essentially the side of the vehicle had like <laughs> cone marks all over it um they were not happy when we returned the rental cars <laughs> hey we're prepared right we're more prepared they, they were they were very like we had to take them away at one point and then bring them back again and uh, drop them off at a later date. Let's just say, let's put it that way. So they were, the rental people were not happy with us. <laughs> but but it was pretty cool. We you know we did stuff like that. You do down drivers training, right? So if your if your driver gets shot, you know, and you're a sitting passenger, how do you react? Um, so that that oh, was man. pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And how then do they, you react? <laughs> You essentially climb over the middle and uh, for we're talking like a suburban for a Humvee. It's going to be a lot harder because you physically can't get over there. So the, yeah, I mean, that would be difficult. The, 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 the gunner would probably have to like drop down and pull the guy, the driver out of the way. But for uh, a normal suburban type vehicle, you essentially like straddle the console or the, whatever the middle section is. And you basically like, put a foot on the gas or the brake and then your left hand goes to the wheel and you drive for him while sitting in like the uh, passenger seat. 
No, man, just as long as you've got to. Right, as long as you got. Yo, I mean, the, the goal is to, I don't need to be making fine movements there. The goal is to get out of the area. Right. <laughs> yeah, so you're, you're not uh, going down the road just like leaning over from the passenger seat, just like driving around. Just yeah, continuing. Like... Yeah, you're just getting out of the area. <laughs> and then you'll, you know, great, take your driver, give him medical aid and um, continue on driving. So, yeah. You know, and even little things I, I thought it was interesting just to watch because little things like how they hold the wheel like there's certain if you're trained for like tactical environments like how you hold the wheel is important right because if i slam into something and i break both of my thumbs i'm gonna have trouble shooting my gun oh yeah so just some like little nuanced stuff to think about so you drive with a false grip yeah basically yeah so if i hit something my Ah. hands just go flying over and you know hopefully don't break all my fingers uh, oh okay because I don't want my thumb pointing in the wrong direction, right? That's going to make shooting anything very hard. So. Yeah. Well, eat your heart out, uh, my high school driving instructor. <laughs> 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 I'm sure that's what that's what they're thinking right now. Oh, I'm so sorry. You were you were right, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> that that was a lot of fun training. We actually took there was like a full bird colonel. It's fairly high rank in the military. We took him out. Or was he a general? I can't remember. We we took someone very high ranking out onto the the driver's training course, and he was an Air Force guy, and we we let him like zip around the course, and he thought it was like the greatest thing ever. So he's a, he's a fighter pilot, so he was like, "Oh, this is super cool." I was like, "Yeah, cool. Come out anytime, sir." So that, that was kind of fun. Anyway, the training on the show like simulated a, what we call a complex ambush. So a simple ambush would just be like an explosion goes off, like an IED. But the, on the TV show, it was basically a complex ambush. So there was like explosions going off, just like improvised explosive device on the side of the road. And there was people shooting and there was guys running out. Um, you know, in real life, when explosions go off in combat, they're generally like all dust. You know, like the big fireballs you see in movies, yeah. it's, just, it's just not realistic. It's, it's just like a big cloud of dust. And, you know, the scary part is the shrapnel and the metal that's flying out of those things. It's usually not a lot of flames. Right, right. The flames are very Hollywood, very production-based type stuff. Because, again, you, the goal of the explosion is to kill people, and you do that through shrapnel. I don't do that through fire, typically, unless it's a like a napalm, a uh, like a jelly-type thing that's specifically designed to set something on fire. Right. Which, we, I, you know, we, we did see some of those downrange. I, I've never had one detonate on me or my vehicles. I've come very close to one uh but it didn't go off so boy oh man now there's nothing uh scarier than napalm honestly yeah if you again if you read my my ultra ocr man book there's a story of like us almost running over an ied and uh afterwards the guys like oh the eod guys that came and dismantled that were like oh yeah that would have been a bad day for you (laughs) it's like oh (laughs) good (laughs) i was i was thinking it would have been fine that, that was the one we were so close to it <laughs> that I saw it actually as we drove by it and I was like bracing for impact and my driver is completely clueless and we drove right by it. I mean, I'm not sure if it wasn't activated yet, right? Because you can you can turn them on and off. Um, you can essentially turn the trigger on and off. I'm not sure if it wasn't activated or if we just missed it by like an inch, but it was, I mean, we were close. We were close. So, Evan, I'm glad you're here, man. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Um, Very much so. So in the 
in the show, they did have like one part where this, I guess this is a little bit of a spoiler. So at one point there's like a gate blocking the road. And instead of going around the gate, the ones who essentially did the exercise correct drove through the gate because it was a better decision than driving back out into the ambush. Um, Oh yeah. You know, so sometimes I I wouldn't say sometimes it, it, it works well to not, I'm going to say not follow the rules, but sometimes you need to think outside the box a little bit. Um, it's not like every test they give you is like it has like a trick or like something you have to break the rules to do. But if you can, as a general rule, right, we're training for combat, we're training for real situations. If you can justify your actions and it was generally safe for the training environment, uh, they usually don't have a problem with it. So something like that or like you driving through a gate to avoid going back into the ambush, you know, would would probably qualify for that. Right. And I, I do sense. I do have a story from uh, one of my trips to Iraq where we were going on a raid and I was the second vehicle as where I, my vehicle usually was. And I told the guys on the radio like, hey, we're going to go check out this compound. And I can't remember the exact phrase I used, but I didn't use the proper like military terminology. Um, I didn't use the semantic like I didn't use the word raid. I was like, we're going to go hit up this compound or something like that. So a couple of my vehicles didn't realize we were actually doing a raid. <laughs> Again, this is a lesson I learned, right? So, you know, not perfect. So we pull up to the compound and we get there and I'm like, what are they doing? So I told my driver, again, the one that almost set us on fire, essentially previously. And I'm like, just drive through the effing gate. So he takes a hard right and just drives through this uh, chain link fence. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be just like the movies. It's going to explode. <laughs> Right. And um, one, it did not. So the, the the gate broke at the side hinges, not the center hinge where the lock was. Right. So we it was very it was actually fairly anticlimactic. So we were driving and now we have the like two sections of the fence on the front of our Humvee. You just got a giant cow catcher. Yeah. And we stopped <laughs> and then it flew off. Anyway, the rest of my guys are like, oh, we're doing a raid. I see. <laughs> and then they, they drove in after. <laughs> and we did, we did a quick raid. That was, uh, yeah, it's it's why, again, why words are important, semantics important, especially in the military when you have guys who are going from unit to unit, right? So if I use whatever nuanced term for my specific group of guys and someone changes out and they go to a different unit, they may not understand some of that nuance. So we try to keep things, and it's a lot easier said than done. We try to keep things generally the same across the board so you can be kind of plug and play. Uh, type situation right that makes sense yeah uh let's see the cadre were yelling at them a lot that's um again that happens in the some training courses not in selection but in other courses and you know part of that is maintaining your composure right so you you want to stay calm in combat um and in training courses right because just like quitting breeds more quitting uh, i think you know panic breeds panic so um a lot of times I'm on the, when you, when you, a lot of my radio calls, even in like stressful situations, my guy said I was like very monotone. Like I was, he's like, you, you were unemotional. He's like, it sounded like you were just out, out on a normal patrol when you were in contact or uh, when we had IEDs go off and stuff like that. So, you know, and basically what I'm trying to do is make sure the rest of my guys can stay calm and are, can think through their, their decisions. So, right. Yeah. Everybody escalates. You don't want to like all be, Escalate, you're right. Yeah, and then all of a sudden everyone's yelling and yeah. no one's thinking. Yeah. So, um, absolutely. Uh, um, 
so there was a there was a dude who got a little mouthy. Uh, how often does that kind of thing happen? Not not very often. Essentially, the second so. you the second you start pushing back on the instructors or getting any sort of mouth with them, they will just they will crush you. Right. I mean, they will they will crush you. And if it's bad enough, they'll just pull you from the course right there. So uh, it is very, very rare, especially after, a, you know, the longer you're in a course, the less likely it's going to happen because all those all the kind, the kind of bad apples have been weeded out at that point. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, that just seems crazy to me. It's like, why would you go through? Why would you put yourself through all this hell just to make it worse for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. It's not. I mean. They have the, all the power, right? It, it's not yeah. going to end well. It's like, I mean, it's just like telling off a teacher or something, right? Like if you're a student, like they, they have all the power, right? <laughs> you, yeah. it, it is not going to end well for you. Even if you're right, um, it's probably still not going to end well. So. Well, even if you are right, what are they going to do? Apologize to you? <laughs> right, yeah. They're not going to be like, oh, I was completely <laughs> wrong. You, you know, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I'm so sorry. You know, I, I should have been a little nicer to you while I was trying to uh, see if you had what it took to... <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. to be in this program. Uh, they, they they were talking about afterwards, like replaying the decisions in your mind. So you're talking about, oh, when this happened, I did this. When this happened, I did this. I'm not sure if that was the right answer or, I, you know, I feel confident about that. You know, they, they kind of replay that. Um, do you do that, Bobby? Like when you, if you have something that's stressful or complicated and you, you're kind of worried you made the wrong decision, kind of just replay it over and over again in your mind? Oh, yeah, I'm still, I'm still replaying all of them. All of the bad decisions I've ever made. I mean, like, literally, I can remember, like, dumb stuff I did on stage in my teenage years when I was just, like, touring in bands and stuff like that. And, like, oh, just cringing. (laughs) (laughs) It's not helpful, but I do it. You know, so for for me personally, if if there's, like, a situation, like, some of the kind of more hairy situations in Iraq, I, I would replay them in my mind basically all the time for several days in a row, right? Like that's all I would think about and be like, oh, I could have done this. I could have done that. Was this the right decision? I don't know. Um, and I do that for a little bit, but eventually you, I feel like you just got to accept it. So uh, for me, yeah, it usually takes a limit a, to that. Yeah, it usually takes a couple days. And as a general rule, I think even when it may not have been the perfect decision, I think at the time, based off the information I had, I made a decision that was like as be- as best as I could, right? So, right. I think when I, for me personally, like I feel like I I don't have as much some of the, you know, some of the post traumatic stress because I'm like, well, that's the information I had at the time, and it, honestly, if I went back, I would have made the same decision again, even though it may not have been the right decision. So, right, and that's like that's a good thing, like being able to to say, in the end, what I did is what I should have done. Right. Cause you don't really get that in like a lot of like regular everyday scenarios. Yeah. Right? Like if, like if you're like, if you mess up something on your, on your job because you did, it's just a different level of stakes. But being able to say, you know what, in the moment, I, I, I did this out of duty, out of care. And I'm proud of that is like probably the, the, the biggest sign of emotional maturity in any human being mm. that I can think of. Yeah. Good input. Um, yeah. All right, let's keep, keep trucking. So the, at some points, uh, the kind of right around this episode, I think we're on five, right? <laughs> the crew actually starts getting on each other's nerves. You know, they're tired, they're hungry. And again, like we talked about the, 
the stress kind of exposes uh, who you are when things are are not going your well, not not going super well. So that's kind of what, really what they're looking for. They want they want to strip away all the pleasantries that all, basically the face you put on publicly that may not be who you really are. They want they're, they're trying to get rid of all that to see how you are when things are are terrible. So right. Well, and, apparently it worked. Yeah. And I jump, I want to jump back to one thing you said before you were talking about, you know, the getting mouthy with instructors and how like the instructors are always right. So, I mean, it has happened to me at military courses repeatedly. Um, so the first week of ranger school, first time there, uh, they were doing land navigation and they said, all right, when you're done, you meet back here at the red truck. And I said, okay. I go, you know, six hours walking through the woods, finding points. I get back and I'm, I think I'm in the area, but I'm not hundred percent sure. And I'm standing near a maroon truck, not a red truck. It's a maroon truck. And I'm like, I think that's it. And I'm kind of just standing around. And <laughs> before I walk over to check in, the instructor's like, Hey, Hey Ranger, why don't you come over here? He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'll oh, just looking for my finish point sergeant. He's like, come over here. And I was like, I come over there and he marks me down as the wrong finish point failure. I was like, what the F? Like, I, I didn't go up to him and gave him my card. He called me over and then failed me. <laughs> so I had to do the course again, like, uh, instead of sleeping in the next day. I had to wake up, like, three hours early and do the fucking course again. So. Oh, my God. Wait, because you came over to where he told you? He told me to come over there, and I came over, and then he failed me. Instead of me going to the correct finishing point, which oh. I hadn't officially made up my mind yet. So, yeah. Oh man, yeah. just playing with you, just trying to get a reaction out of you. Yeah, testing you. Yeah, so I told the story about the land nav and failing Ranger School, uh, failing that portion of Ranger Climbing to redo that that specific phase. Um, I had a, I had a I had a very rough go at Ranger School the first time. So there was that. I, at one point, <laughs> they have you do practice missions. That's how you like move on to each phase. And one of the one of the patrols I failed literally said I did every single thing wrong. Which, I mean, obviously not true, right? It's, it's like almost physically impossible to do every single thing wrong. He just, I don't know, that instructor didn't like the look of me or he saw something he didn't like. Maybe he saw something I did earlier didn't like. I have no idea. But I've never seen a, a patrol that was graded so poorly. It was like straight red marks down my lane. I was like, what in the heck? And again, <sighs> nothing you can do. You can't argue with them. It's like, all right, yeah. I'll I guess I'll redo the phase. And then again, if you read my book, Ultra OCR Man, you know, when I went, when I restarted, so I failed Ranger School, they restarted me on day one um, after being sleep deprived and food deprived for several months. I fail on a Friday and restart on a Monday. So I'm falling asleep in formation before the course even starts, which is terrible. And Ugh. they have, they have us do pushups and you're supposed to do, I think, 45 pushups or something. Right. And I'm doing pushups 36, 37, 38, 39. And on number 40, I rest. And the instructor goes, all right, Ranger, you're at 30. And I was like, what in the... <laughs> he subtracted 10 push-ups, which at that point, my body was so beaten up. I was like, I don't know if I can do an additional 10 push-ups on top of what like the minimum requirement was. Um, so yeah, and was that an honest mistake? I have no idea. Was he just messing with me? I have no idea. Um, I think he was purposely messing with me, but I, I could be wrong. So, so. It happens. It sucks. Hey, you did 55 push-ups, though, I'll bet. Yeah, I did. 
I did. <laughs> so my friend had said if you fa- if you if he doesn't count push-ups, he's like fail on purpose, and then when you do the retry because they they give you one retry, he's like they grade a lot fair- fairer. So he's like, but the problem is everyone blows themselves out on the first one, right? So they, so they can't do they can't do well on the retry. So I considered actually just giving up at that point and then doing the retry, but honestly, I didn't think I could. I didn't think my muscles were so bad at that point. I didn't think I could pass the retry if I had to. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it happens, right? Uh, and one more story at dive school, you have to do a 50 meter underwater swim. So you, you're on a line, you sink down and you swim 25 meters down, push off the wall, 25 meters back and resurface. And you're not allowed to break the surface at any point. So, uh, it's actually fairly – once you do it a couple times, it becomes fairly easy. For the first time someone does it, it is – it feels so incredibly hard. Uh, you just feel like you're drowning, and you're about to run out of oxygen any second. Uh, but it's about staying calm like we talked about with the Humvee submerge. So I 50 meter, I do the 50 meter, go down, down, touch the wall, push off, come back, surface. And I even like take a couple – like one extra two, – two extra strokes past the finish line – to make sure I'm all the way past the finish line. And I come up, and the guy's like, all right, you failed. I was like, what? He's like, like what, <laughs> what, what, what do you mean I failed? Oh, yeah, I, was, I was legitimately very confused. I was like, I'm, Sergeant, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, he's like when, you, when you went under, your foot, like when, on my first stroke, my foot came out of the water. Oh, come on. Yeah. Come so be- on, man. Because my foot broke the water, <laughs> which I don't breathe through my feet, and it's not on the fir- it was on the very first stroke, they were like, no, that doesn't count. I was like, what? <clears throat> so I had to go to remedial training the next day, and I did the 50-meter underwater swim like six times that morning. And they're like, all right, well, that was just practice. That doesn't count. So you, you got to do it again tomorrow as a test. I was like, what the? So Ugh. these are some of the, some of the ex- experiences, right? And Again, you just kind of take it and you're like, this is BS, but, you know, what am I going to do? So. Yeah. And you just kind of hold on to your composure. Yeah. Even when you want to just like yell at the person. But <laughs> um. uh, all right. Moving on. Episode six we're up to. Uh, this one had like a weird balance thing where it was like uh, two, a couple of poles. And then you kind of had to like shimmy out on the pole standing. It's like a double pole balance beam, I would describe it as. And then you step over a block and then keep walking. So it, this was kind of odd to me because I feel like they tested fear of heights so many times at this point. It right. felt very redundant. They even called this one fear. Yeah, it was like, uh, it's like I feel like we've already done this with the high wire, low wire, and the rappelling and uh, the jumping out of the helicopter. So it just it just seemed really redundant to me. Um the the one thing I thought was interesting, well, not really interesting, but the 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 thing was unstable, so like <clears throat> it as you lifted one foot to step over this block, the the thing shifted a little, uh which is very a lot like a lot of OCR obstacles where like if you're like Conquer the Golden used to have this ring on one of their rigs and essentially, all you had to move, you had to grab the ring, but you had to load it first so it locked into position before you transferred. Um, just simple, like, understanding basics of physics, right? So you know if you grab something that's not 
perfectly stable, it's going to tilt to one side, and you just kind of right. have to preload it before you go over there. So, again, very similar to the Ranger School balance beam we talked about on the first podcast, uh, kind of walking out and stepping over something. Um, right. The event is on the show. It's a 10-day event. The, In my experience, the first week of any training course goes by the slowest. It goes, like, I know it doesn't make sense, but it it feels so long. The first week always feels so long. Um, it's, it's probably very similar with, like, a new job or kind of any new thing you're not used to. You know the or like even vacation. The first couple of days of you when you're on vacation, sometimes it feels like you. It feels like you're there for a while, and then it feels like the second half of the vacation always speeds by. Yeah, you you relax. You relax into it. You accept it. Yeah, it's no longer a novel stimulus. Correct. Yeah. So military courses and things like selection are the same way. The first week feels like it's taking forever. So the fact that they made it ten days meant most of the course probably felt like it was taking forever. And then those last three days sped by. <clears throat> yeah. Was that, that was also the episode with the tear gas, right? Or was that episode six? That is, I think we're, we're on six. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, we're on six right now. I think episode seven is tear gas. This yes. one is the one where they had the, we are going to set you on fire, and you're going to run out and then roll around in the sand. Oh, that is probably the worst thing I can imagine. <laughs> so th- this is one of the few that has like no basis in military training really why are we gonna set you on well, one it's real that, that's some hollywood stuff right there but like we don't have burn suits i'm not a stunt man like i don't want to be on fire why are you setting me on fire I, things have gone wrong if i'm on fire <laughs> that is true so that is complete hollywood i mean the the risk assessment to to do that seems very high. The amount of like specialized equipment, like that gel to make sure your face doesn't burn and the suit right, right. seems really complicated. Um, so yeah, it's it it tests certain aspects, which it tests aspects like the gas chamber. So, but it's going to be a lot more expensive. It's going to be a lot more dangerous. Um, yeah, complete Hollywood. Complete Did you ever do that thing, man? What is it that you would spray on your arm, and then you kind of could light it on fire, and it looked like your arm is on fire, and it would like this seems like up your arm. This seems like something I would have done as a teenager, but no, I yeah. or in my early twenties, but no, I have not done that. <laughs> it's easy, it's great for quick, uh, quick and easy hair removal. Mm. Oh, well, we did, we did a lot of dumb things in college, but that was not one of them. No. <laughs> what was it? Was it hairspray, or was it just like alcohol? I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna find it at some point and we'll talk about it later. But moving on. <laughs> yeah, so I, I've never been set on fire. I've almost been set on fire. I've my platoon's been hit by lightning. Um let's see, I got electrocuted trying to get uh internet up in Iraq. That was a good one. Oh Left internet. It. Yeah. I, our internet wasn't working. I went I like, climbed on the outside of one of the, the uh little sh- sheds there and I guess I touched something that wasn't grounded. Because it shocked the hell out of me, like I went flying off of the <laughs> side of the shed. I had an exit wound. I had an exit burn on the top of my foot. I was like, "What in the?" <laughs> I'm only laughing because it sounds horrific. It was. I was like, "What in the?" I was like, "I came to Iraq, and this is like 
probably month three of the deployment. I was like, I came to Iraq, and the closest I've come to dying is getting electrocuted setting up internet? <laughs> like, what in the heck is going on? Also, I'm setting up internet? Yeah. Yeah. Internet's important. That's what you need. Uh, that's what you need. So people need an Iraq. So basic utility, man. Basic utility, yeah. Keeps everything else. Keeps you amused. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I think this selection, real selection, military in general, like really plays on the fear of the unknown and you know, um, your f- people's fear of death, right? So the a lot of the things are you're going into an unknown environment, and that's what makes things hard, and that's. That's true whether it's combat. It's true whether it's first day on a new job. That's true probably for you, like if meeting a new client, maybe like an exp- a guy who's a wealthy client who's hiring you for the first time, right? It's fear of the unknown. You don't know how they're going to react. Right. You don't, you don't know if, if what's good enough for them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, military, the military gets you really comfortable with that because right, I move jobs basically every two to three years. So every two to three years, I have to walk into a job and essentially, you know, whatever street cred I beat up, I uh, built up on the previous job, you almost start at zero, which is frustrating sometimes, right? Because you build all these relationships and it's like, oh, well, I know Evan, he's a good worker because of X, Y, and Z. And then you show up to the new job and it's like, all right, back to, back to zero. And you're like, ah, so you have to like reestablish yourself. So it's good if you're, um, I mean, if you messed up with your last job, it's good because then you 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 you, you can start it fresh. But if you, you if, do. you if you're doing well, it's kind of annoying because you constantly have to like reset back to zero. So, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. Um, the show does seem like there was a lot of downtime between events, uh, and I. Yeah. So that is not actually that. So Ranger School is very little downtime. A lot of the other military courses is very little downtime selection there's actually a decent amount of downtime where you just kind of like sit in your hut and you wait it's really it's really weird you essentially wait for so when i went through they had a whiteboard out and you would just sit there and you'd have someone check the whiteboard every couple of minutes essentially and the instructors would walk out and they would write instructions on there and you follow the instructions so the instructions would say like you know you know 3 p.m or 1500 uh rucksack uh, uniform formation and you show up rucksack uniform formation and then you take instructions from there but they, they don't tell they never tell you what's going on they never tell you what event you're doing a lot of times you can guess right if I show up in PT uniform as opposed to like my normal uh, army uniform I'm probably going to be going for some sort of run or there might be some sort of uh, physical training session log PT or rifle PT or something like that but if I'm in like a full uniform, it probably means uh, with my rucksack, it probably means I'm going for a ruck run or ruck march or some other type of event. So, right. Yeah. But you, you do end up sitting around in like these huts and kind of waiting for instructions. I think they may have changed it now where yeah, I think it might be digital and it's just like a TV screen and it appears, uh, which is actually harder because then you kind of constantly have to watch it versus we would look for the instructor walking out of the hut to write on the board. And that was like our trigger to go check it. Gotcha. All right, episode seven, trucking along. Yeah, things um, are getting intense here. They did have a uh, prayer option on Sunday, um, so they they let them pray. So that's fairly common in most military courses where they, uh, not like I get the day off for Sunday, but a lot of times they'll give you like an hour or something for uh, 
prayer at, at ranger school everyone goes to church at, at ranger school and the reason is is because the chaplain doesn't care if you sleep in church oh <laughs> one so, more hour yeah so people will go in there and just just rack out super hard like and the chaplain knows it too he's like he's like guys just come to church he's like i'm not gonna wake you up it's okay <laughs> and <laughs> like everyone goes so it's pretty funny uh, it's usually like non-denominational or um some sort of baptist type thing so the 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 chaplains usually i think there's a lot of protestant or baptist chaplains but the service itself is usually just generic um either not either generic christian or sometimes just even just generic like uh, let's pray for the lord type thing so yeah and for like for me personally i thought that was more i feel like i was more prayerful or uh, spiritual religious whatever you want to call it in training courses than I was in combat. Oh, um, really? Yeah. So, like, I feel like you know, uh, good Christian values, right? That like, thou shall not kill. I feel like that makes me doing my job. You know, even though the people are bad, right, and they're trying to kill me, and I'm I'm responding in kind. I feel like that makes my job harder. Um, but in in training courses, it was more – it was make-believe essentially. So I had uh, – and I was worried about passing. Versus, it sounds weird. Like it, we were like <clears> – military course, I'm worried about passing. In combat, like if I die, it's no longer my problem because I'm dead. <laughs> I know yeah. that sounds weird, but it's like, oh, well, then it's not an, it's not an issue anymore because now I'm dead. <laughs> and I don't have to worry about that. That's someone else's problem. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't know if other people felt feel the same way, but that's kind of my. Uh, I found I always feel more religious and more um, spiritual in training courses than I actually did in, in combat. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah I guess that's fair. <laughs> you know, at this point, so we're in episode seven. At this point, again, not going to give any names or anything, but they're at about thirty three percent of the classes remaining. So. Um, Going into the show, that's what I was expecting. Basically, 25 to 30% was kind of what I was expecting to make it to the end. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the actual number is, but you know, by episode 7, I'm like, all right, we're probably about settled into... like The people left are probably going to be who makes it. So, um, you know, Ranger School, similar passing percentages, 33 to 50%. SFAS, Special Forces again, we had about 33% past selection and then probably out of those another 33 percent didn't make it through the 14 month training pipeline so yeah right yeah so uh, this yeah go for it tear gas this is there now we get to it now <laughs> we get the to good the, stuff the tear gas one um so that's the one so they, they they're in like there's basically this connex this container it's like a multi-connex connected thing and they have to run in and there's tear gas going off uh, they think they come with a mask. They remove the mask. They have to say their name and their social security number. And then they have to go find a bag and leave with the bag. So the name and social security number, you know, we did that in a lot of our basic training type courses. Uh, the So very, I mean, straight out of military training courses. Actually, the only time, the only time most people will do CS training, the, the gas training is in their basic training type course. Right. It's not something we do regularly. Yeah, it's not something we do regularly. It's not something that happens 
annually. You don't have to get recertified. You experience it once. You're like, that is terrible. I know what that feels like. Let's not do that again. It's kind of the, uh, the mind, the mindset, you know, and it, 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 it's, it's bad. Um, it's worse than it looks on camera. This is one of the things I'll be like, no, like the camera doesn't quite capture how bad it really is. (laughs) I mean, your eyes are burning, your skin is tingling. Um, the skin tingling is not too bad. Uh, it's, it's kind of like taking like a really strong pre-workout where you get that, that tingle kind of like that. Uh, Oh yeah. But the, the, the the burning is terrible um and i like hot stuff like it it still doesn't matter it's terrible and the the worst part is like when you you feel like you can't breathe so you like take a big breath in but then that makes it feel like you can't breathe either because it's like it's burning your lungs so it's oh man yeah and supposedly there's like a small percentage of the population that is it does not tear gas does not bother them and i remember going into the chamber and being like oh you know maybe i'm that one one percent no, you're definitely not. Like, no, <laughs> no one is. I I don't know where this, this magical person exists, but supposedly some people, uh, it doesn't bother their respiratory tract. It, it is bad. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. The only the so I've I've done uh, gas mask training one other time in the military, and it was actually voluntary the second time. Uh, so it's not something you'll experience at a lot of these like training courses. Uh, but we we had watched the, or I had watched an episode of Doomsday Preppers where people were building their own gas masks. And I come into work the next day and I'm like, so I, I'm, I was in charge of a chemical recon and chemical de- decon detachment at the time. I'm like, dude, can we build our own gas mask? And the, my, my guys were like, yeah. He's like, and then let's go in the gas chamber. And I was like, <laughs> and I like, I stared at him. He's like, sir, do you want to see if it works or not? And I was like, that's a really good point. I was like, let's do it. So we, <laughs> it was like, um, I felt like I was in high school. Like we, we, Everyone went home and built their own gas mask with whatever they thought was going to be a good idea. And we came in and we rented the gas chamber for the, the training environment. You rented a gas rented the gas chamber? chamber. <laughs> yeah, you reserve it. I guess you're not renting it. You reserve it, right? Like it's owned by the installation. And you, you hey, we're having a place. gas party, guys. Yeah. We rented the chamber. So the, I love this. So my, my NCO uh, comes in. He's like, all right, sir. I put uh, I put six tablets in uh to the chamber, and I'm like, I, I have no idea what that. I'm like, that's so. Yeah, that seems like really hot. Like, what's a normal amount of tablets? <laughs> and he's like, well, you're supposed to put one tablet in to charge the chamber, and then you put a second tablet in per fifty people. And I was like, <laughs> what? I was like, there's twelve of us. You put six tablets in. He's like, sir, do you want to know if these work or not? And I was like, <laughs> fine. <laughs> so it was so thick the gas was like i mean it felt like you could touch it you know it was just like like that's how thick it was in that room and we went in there with our homemade gas masks and we uh it was one of the funniest days uh, of work we we had such a good time testing testing these things out <laughs> did so, they work so a lot of the ones i had to read the book to know a lot of the ones on doomsday preppers do not work uh, a lot so the problem you'll find with a lot of the stuff is they you need a good seal around your face to prevent the air from seeping in. Right. So a lot of the ones that we got from the TV show, they just you just can't get that tight of a seal. It's got to be a suction cup seal to your face is what it's got to yeah. be. Um, so we, we found a couple of models that work. Uh, I'm not going to quite disclose them on here. 
we found a couple of make your own stuff that I could go into any country and essentially build off the shelf. Now, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Since you all made different ones, we all made different ones, and it, basically the rule was you had to be able to acquire it locally. So, um, you know, Home Depot or whatever. Um, so that was kind of the thing. Uh, they were also on the show. They were also in like basically Tyvek suits. So essentially, uh, you know, anti chemical or gas suits essentially so it's it, all it is is a non-porous material right so we we have in the military we have these suits that are pr- supposed to be for chemical attacks but at the end of the day it's, it's basically a non-porous material so you can use trash bags if you really want to right so if we ever have a chemical attack in the united states you could put on a bunch of trash bags or sweat you know like the sauna suits that people use to uh, cut weight yeah he's all, all you you want something that's just not going to absorb and get onto your skin or stay on your skin if it touches your skin. So. Oh man, I remember the sauna suits from high school. Oh yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> it was not good at dieting. That's. I mean, it's <laughs> it's not a good technique. No. It is. Not. You do not feel good after sweating. Yeah, I've 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 gotten in, you know as people of the podcast know I've gotten more into like martial arts and I've watched a bunch of documentaries on people cutting weight and. Um, you know, for fights and stuff like that, and it's just, it's just such a terrible idea. Mm. Like, it, it's it's a disaster. You know, like the people like almost killing themselves uh, to dehydrate themselves to make weight. It's like, oh. yeah. And then it takes you it takes you a couple of days to bounce back. So you will, you know, if you cut that much weight, you're not going to be feeling healthy or performing at, at your best, even. You know, so right. But you may end up. 15 pounds over the other guy. So the tra- yeah. again, like most things in life, there's a trade off. So uh, they did have people, uh, we call them sh- sugar cooking. Are you familiar with the term sugar cookie? No. So sugar cookie is when you have someone jump in water or, or the beach, the surf, whatever. And then you have them roll around in the sand. Oh, oh wait, they said that in the first episode. Yeah. I think they did in the first episode as well. Yeah. So they did, they did they did some sugar cooking of some candidates where you jump in the water and then you roll around in the sand. Uh, that is very Navy SEAL-esque. I'm having trouble remembering if I've ever done it at any of the Army courses. It's very Navy SEAL. Whereas Navy SEAL is constantly going in and out of the water. They're, they're buds basically on the water demolition courses on the West Coast in Coronado. Uh, so they do that a lot where they jump in the water and then they have them roll in the sand and do uh, physical training PT. So Yeah. The the big one we did we did so if you watch there's a documentary called Two Weeks in Hell, which I've been told is no longer very accurate because it was from when I went through selection. It is not from I guess the course has changed since then. Uh, but the big the two big ones we did that were similar to like sugar cooking is we call them log and rifle PT. So log and rifle PT rifle PT is essentially you're holding out your rifle and you're doing like overhead arm claps and you're doing arm raises and you're running back and forth and stuff like that. Um, so that was rifle PT and you're rolling around in the dirt and you're sweaty. So you're basically getting, you're basically doing a sugar cookie, but without being wet, it's your sweat is providing the moisture. Uh, uh but log PT. And if you watch the documentary, you'll see this is, uh, just like it sounds very similar to a lot of the Navy SEAL training where they, they're pushing, you know, like 10 guys on a log and you're doing like presses and squats and you're moving it around. You're doing sit-ups with it. But the worst part about uh, log log PT, uh, from when I went through, is they would <laughs> they purposely feed you like a big meal or a meal right beforehand, 
and then you oh. go right into log PT, and people start vomiting in the pit. Like there's a oh. there's, there's an area of like all these like little pieces of chopped pieces of wood, and you're doing all this like exercise after eating a meal. Like I mean, fifteen minutes after you finish eating, right? Yeah. And people start vomiting, and then once one dude vomits again, it it's like a virus and it spreads. Like other people start vomiting, it's pretty gross. And then when you throw up, they're like, "Don't throw up in my pit! Don't throw up in my pit!" Pick this is what they said. This is a direct quote: "Pick up your weakness and put it in your pocket." So people like threw up into a bunch of like wood chips, and they pick up the wood chips and shove them into their pockets, like their big cargo pockets. So you have. Oh wood chips covered in vomit in your pockets and then they're having you they're then they're having you roll around in the in the wood chips afterwards Ugh. right so you're essentially rolling through the leftovers of people's vomit they don't do this anymore i've been told <laughs> primarily for health reasons yeah because <laughs> eventually someone's like you know this isn't very sanitary um, <laughs> But if you want to see what it looked like and what I went through, uh, it is up on you know the, the documentary Two Weeks in Hell, uh, which is also super misleading because it was three weeks when I went through. They had dropped it for two weeks as like a test program for a while to see if they could get the same results with less time, and they decided that to keep it at three weeks, I guess, eventually. But yeah, yeah, it'll picking up your weakness. Yeah. And the guys would like run out of the good guys would run out of the pit to throw up, and then they would yell at them for leaving the pit without permission. It was like, yeah, it's like the only time you know I, I mentioned the instructors are calm most of the time. This was like the only time uh, for when I went through that they were like yelling at you all the time. So it, it went from no feedback to all negative feedback, back to no feedback. <laughs> so. You know, they, they, as you're doing rifle, like as you're doing the log PT, they'll walk up to you with their notebook, like look at your roster number and write down, write something down, and then yeah. like walk away. Again, they don't say anything; they just walk up, write, start writing. Sometimes they're writing your number down again. Sometimes they're just they're just messing with your mind. So. Right. Um. Some uh, people started talking about some food cravings, so that is a hundred percent legit. Every time I went to a long training course. People make a lot of people keep lists of like all their food cravings, especially at Ranger School when you're severely uh, calorie deprived. Yeah, and they make a list of every disgusting thing you want to eat, like every unhealthy, like sundaes and you know pies and whatever, right? You know, double cheeseburgers, and they make a list of everything. So when you come out of Ranger School, this two months long, you are typically about twenty pounds lighter than when you went in. And when you go in, you're generally in good physical shape. So it's not like I'm losing 20 pounds of fat that I didn't need. You're losing fat and muscle, and yeah. you're you're starving all the time. And when you come out, people eat everything. Like <laughs> it is disgusting. It is disgusting. people will people will go from like looking like a concentration camp victim coming out of the course, and then a month later be like legitimately fat. <laughs> it's so unhealthy. Um, but yeah, I, I I had a list of stuff like, oh, I'm gonna eat this, and then I'm gonna eat this, and then I'm gonna eat this, and you come out and you just like binge eat, and then you feel gross, and then you you can't run anymore because <laughs> you're like you're chunky for what you what you're 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 used to. Oh, it's rough. So I, when I went through the the special forces training, I essentially 
came I reverse dieted it's coming out of that to come off a little slower uh, because I learned my lesson at Ranger School like not to just give into every every food that I wanted so right you get any you get any big cravings during uh like your your first marathon the one you put up on YouTube the has the YouTube video anything like that no like I'm definitely gonna eat this when I'm done it wasn't it wasn't long enough to be that strenuous okay like it was straight it sucked because i was cramping because my nutrition was terrible but afterwards i was like yeah i'm hungry but like i wasn't like dying but also it's still pretty normal for me to just eat a whole pizza okay (laughs) (laughs) so that's what i did right all right sounds good pretty pretty good the next day honestly like i wasn't gonna run the next day if i didn't have to but (laughs) if anyone wants to see that you can head over and check out bobby ross's uh, youtube channel what's it called my first marathon is that what it is yeah i, I ran a marathon without training that's the title of the film of the little mini i wouldn't doc. recommend it <laughs> no not a good idea uh, no. i did the same thing <laughs> that's right yeah uh on the road with your buddy right uh so that so that one was the marine corps marathon and then my first ultra was also basically no training and we ran from uh, washington dc i'm sorry baltimore to washington dc that's right yeah also sketchy so, you know, it's almost, I guess I wouldn't recommend it, but like in some ways I'm glad I did that first one like that because when I did go and do another one, it was so much easier. So much easier. There's <laughs> so crowds, much easier. there's energy, there's excitement. You get a t-shirt, you get a medal. It's much I, better. I knew how to eat. I kind of knew a little bit more like how much salt to have. Yeah. That's actually a good point. I mean, if, especially if, you know, you're going to spend a lot of money on a marathon you know, some of them, the travel and the race entry is really expensive. So like doing one first to kind of work out some of the kinks allows you to go into the second one with like an actual goal versus people show up to their first marathon with a goal. And it's like, just focus on making it across the finish line. Yeah. Like you can have a plan, but like focus on finishing. Yeah. Basically anytime you do a new distance, the primary goal should be like finish the event. And the secondary goal, you should you can have you can have other goals to kind of help motivate you, but finishing the event is always the first important part. Right. Yeah. All right, I think we'll uh we'll actually gonna lead this over into a third episode. I think. Yeah, I think those there's this it gets pretty juicy. Eight uh, episodes, eight through ten. Yeah. So we're on. We are about halfway through episode seven, and I still got notes for seven, eight nine and just a little bit of 10 so we will we will continue this on another the third and final podcast of um, bobby and evan's random commentary <laughs> just 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 shooting the breeze man yeah just hanging out talking about a a weird reality tv show <laughs> if anyone has any other like i want to hear reactions for something else i guess just let us know i don't know what uh this is a fairly unique background in this. That's why I know why we, we did this specific one and I had a bunch of people ask me questions. So that's why we chose this one. But if, you know, if you're liking these episodes, just shoot me a message. Let me know. If you don't like these episodes, I guess shoot me a message. Let me know. And we probably <laughs> won't do it again. Unless I find something that I really want to talk about. And then I'll just make you, I'll just make you listen. I don't know. So. Also, we want all the questions too. Like, did anything stick out to y'all? Like what was interesting about the episodes, probably seven through 10? Yeah, if you watch the show. That's a good point. Yeah, so I don't know. The first one's out already, so you know, f- feel free to shoot us a message. But I don't know when this one will come out. If we'll release it before we record the next one, but probably we'll see. 
Yeah. Any final shout outs you want to give Bobby? Any projects you're working on that people need to go check out? Except no. no, just the just the usual. Taking it easy for a couple months, you know? I like it. I like it. Did you get your PS five yet? I did. Amazing. <laughs> I did. What ga- uh, what 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 games? I don't dude, even know what games are on PS five. I'm playing Demon Souls right now. Uh, anybody, shout out in the comments below to anybody who's made it through Demon Souls. It is one brutally hard game. Uh, something that I I think uh, Evan knows quite a bit about. I know Demon Souls. No, well, no, oh, just, just hard, just, hard, just things. hard. Okay, just banging your head against the wall trying to figure out figure out a boss, and that's just for some reason that's a very satisfying feeling mm. to get through it. I'm uh, I'm on a. I, I don't play many video games, but I have like re- really weird niche interests in things. <laughs> and right now I'm on like a deep dive of the Doom uh, franchise. So just kind of watching a bunch of YouTube videos and reading some of like the fiction books that came out about the franchise. Oh, it's so good. You need to jump on and look at a Noclips documentary about Doom 2016. Okay, I'm going to check that out. Feature-length doc uh, by Noclip about the Doom 2016 sort of uh, just just all of the development and all of the thought that went into kind of like starting again with that franchise. It's fascinating. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that was like one of the original... I mean, that's one of the first major computer games I remember playing all the time. You know, Wolfenstein 3D and then Doom and then Doom 2. I played so much of that growing up. So. Oh, man, yeah. I, my first was Doom 64. Okay. And that hooked me. Yeah. I, and I really, I really like the, um, I like the story of like the guy going in there and like shooting demons in the face. I find, <laughs> I find that somewhat satisfying. Uh, so yeah, it's and, fantastic. And the the graphics and the you know just the some of the gameplay looks amazing. So I haven't even played Doom, Doom Eternal, but I've seen it on YouTube. <laughs> Dude, I think what we should do is uh, we need to do a video about doom mods i could bring you i could bring you uh in on some some fun mods that people have done over the years to the original doom engine which is just great it's so fun nice i I, someone sent me one at one point or did i send one of my friends one i can't even remember i don't know anyway (laughs) we've digressed wildly (laughs) digressed wildly all right we're gonna get going uh Check out TeamStrengthSpeed.com. Again, all the, the merch and the books and stuff are on there. I also started posting what I call OCR Garage Sale. So I have a bunch <laughs> of uh, – so I'm, I'm getting rid of some of my, my books that I've – like other fitness books that I've read. So I have a bunch for sale on there. There's, they're lightly used, so I think they're two for $10. But you know, some of the books are like $20 or $40 if you bought them new. So uh, you can – if you're interested in fitness books, you can head over and check that out. Again, there's only one of each, so – you know, pick up, and then I'm, I am going to put some of my, like, old, uh, I've got too many rig grips, like the, like, I, I there's too many. I've got too many. <laughs> you had I'm trying so to get rid of some. Boxes and boxes. I'm going to put some, I'm going to put for, I guess, some for sale. Again, they'll be about, like, 50% of how, what they normally cost. They'll be on the TeamStrengthSpeed.com website, and you can, you can pick them up. Again, all that stuff is essentially the only one, because I only have one of that particular style. So, if you want it, do not wait. And then our Blegmit Large Extreme should be coming in. Uh, De- they showed up while Deanna Bleg was on vacation. So I'm, I can't remember when she gets back. It should be another week, I think. And then we got to wait for them to arrive. So we should have 
by the end of the month, I know I said last month, but by the end of this month, we should have Blegman Extreme Larges back in stock. Again, we have all the other sizes besides those. Bobby, anything else? Nothing, man. All right. Good luck on Demon Souls. Is that it? <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll, we'll catch all you later. Bye, y'all.